Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Avengers, Age of Ultron. Is garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Welcome to Denny Geek Presents Marvel Standing Live, where each week, more or less, we break down the latest and greatest MCU and Marvel comics have to offer, but. We're not exactly talking about the latest or the greatest this time around. It's going to be an interesting to possibly sketchy and or bad vibes episode. Uh, but before we get into the good stuff, because as we know, the internet and the all-powerful algorithm seems to reward negativity. And so we're selling our souls and selling my soul right there alongside with me this week. Please welcome Denny Geek TV editor Alec Bajalid, Denny Geek News and Features editor Kirsten Howard, and once again, someone who I think is probably way too nice to be part of this uh, fiasco is brilliant pop culture expert, writer, and lucky for us, Denny Geek contributor, Mr. Joe George. How is everybody doing? Very positive. Yeah? Po- positive about what? <laughs> about phase four. I'm... I'm going to try to be to counterbalance a little bit. Last week was good vibes, folks. Like I know that MCU phase four has been kind of uh, uneven. Like this is the first time where I feel like in the history of the MCU, there has been like sustained lukewarm and mixed reactions about various projects. It's like the first time that that veneer of invincibility that really characterized Marvel's output pretty much across the board between say Avengers in 2012 and certainly up through Endgame, if not even into phase four with WandaVision where it's like, they just can't get it wrong, you know? And, uh, and yet phase four changed that in some cases folks were being a little too picky in others. Well, maybe not. So how are we going to kick this off this week? Is there anything else we need to get to before we just, get the uh get the knives out no let's do it man come on alec you're up somewhat recently a marvel stand of mystery we did discuss what our least favorite projects from phase four was um and my i came through with the falcon and the winter soldier uh in hindsight i i feel that moon knight is actually probably worse but i just didn't want to take that from mike because i know that's what uh that's the hate that keeps him going Stay tuned. Uh, if I had to isolate one scene or one moment from Falcon and the Winter Soldier that like just really bugs me, and I really I think speaks volumes to how bad a show it was, it's um, Sam's final monologue in Episode Six, where he just kind of gently chastises 
a senator and a French member of the UN after he did everything they wanted him to do anyway. Like he just he just dutifully kills a terrorist and saves the world, and then he is just kind of sternly talks down to senators like, "Now you don't call them terrorists. We don't like that." <laughs> you know, for the most part, like Marvel movies and TV shows have a somewhat interesting kind of progressive worldview um, where they at least kind of try to see where the quote unquote bad guys are coming from. You know, it's been long observed that the bad guys in the MCU, like Eric Killmonger and even um, Thanos to a certain extent, sometimes have a point. It's just the way they go about things that makes them evil. But this is the moment where that perspective for the MCU almost develops into just like self-righteous self-parody. At a certain point, I rewatched the monologue today and I, I transcribed the whole thing to make sure I didn't miss anything. But at a certain point, uh, Sam tells the senator, who, by the way, I don't think has a name. He's just credited as senator. You control the banks. Shit, you can move borders. You can knock down a forest with an email. You can feed a million people with a phone call. But the question is, who's in the room with you when you make those decisions? Is it the people you're going to impact? And it's just like this very <laughs> weak, weak attempt at like, no, you shouldn't be burning down forests. That's not the problem. The problem <laughs> here isn't that the wrong people are in the room when that happens. The problem is that it happens in the first place. Like, it's not like a, necessarily a win for representation like, when they, you know, move borders arbitrarily. When they move borders arbitrarily, it's just, I really didn't like it, man. I think you're harsh on Falcon and the Winter Soldier in general, but I can't really argue with you about that speech. Like, you know, it's something where, like, it's hard is in the right place, but it is just absolute nonsense. <laughs> like, it's just incomprehensible, ultimately stands for nothing nonsense, you know, from a character that is pretty great, like, wearing possibly the most badass live-action superhero costume in existence right now. And it does undermine a lot of the other, uh, a lot of the other stuff going on there. I feel that. I like the idea of Cap, you know, him finally becoming Cap by by giving a speech. I, I like that whole idea, but I, I hadn't rewatched it and I was pre prepared to defend the speech. But as you're reading it there, Alec, I'm just like, oh, it is pretty bad. <laughs> Am I up? Is this me? Yeah, I have nothing else to add on the topic. I, I could just say a nice thing about Falcon Owner Soldier that it wasn't as brutal as I remembered. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, longtime Marvel stand and viewers probably will not be surprised by my first pick. And I'm cheating a little bit because is this a moment? No. Is it many moments? Yes. It's Stephen Grant. Pick one. Pick any moment. Pick any moment that Stephen Grant is on screen in Moon Knight, and it qualifies as one of the worst, most excruciating, stupidest things, not just in the MCU phase four, but that the MCU has ever done. This is one of the most ill-advised character studies and creations, like, like, honestly, in comic book adaptation history, let alone in the MCU. Um, I generally feel pretty strongly that when the MCU makes changes from the comics to the screen, I usually understand the logic, even if I don't fully agree with the change itself. 
I don't understand this logic here other than Oscar Isaac was given a blank check, both like, like literally and also creatively. And I also, you know, generally feel like it is done, you know, in the service of adapting something that might not work very well, you know, that worked well on the page that doesn't necessarily translate to the screen. I feel like I'm always defending myself that I am not a comic book purist, despite the fact that I spend most of my time reading comic books. Comics and TV and movies are not the same thing. Like everything from the visuals to the way characters are created and communicated and understood are completely, these are completely different things. Stephen Grant is nonsense. This is like Jar Jar Binks level of nobody was saying no to the people involved in, in, in the writing, creation, and performance of this aspect of the character. And it's dreadful. Moon Knight in general, I think is probably the worst thing that, that Marvel Studios has ever put out. Um, like, it's just so ruinously bad uh, that it's going to taint that character for all time, and I am dreading, dreading the moment that the comics, as they so often do, try to find ways to follow suit from, you know, the more well-known screen version. Um, this is excruciating, and this is going to color now. My three points that I'm going to make throughout the show MCU phase four is the first time in the history of the MCU where I have felt that elements of the output were like genuinely terrible. Like, yes, I think age of Ultron is a bad movie. You know, we did our big MCU ranking last year and pretty much everybody voted Thor: the dark world at the bottom of the list. There have been mediocre Marvel projects before phase four is the first time that there have been projects where I'm like, this is actually, this isn't just kind of like watered down or not as good as it could be or not as great as everything else. This is the first time some of this stuff has like really genuinely irritated me to the point where I'm like, I will never watch this again. Like I've watched Age of Ultron multiple times. I've watched Thor The Dark World multiple times. I will never watch Moon Knight again as long as I live. And this goes for the other two things that I'm going to take shots at today. Anyway, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Let's never speak of Stephen Grant again. Mike's not making it through this episode alive. <laughs> hey, I smell toast. Like <laughs> I, re I rewatched Moon Knight recently. Really? And and uh, three of the episodes are pretty good. I think the other three aren't very good. <laughs> Musna says season two is going to be a lot for me. Joke's <laughs> on you, Musna. Season two ain't ever going to happen. <laughs> I think if they promise Oscar Isaac another accent, then, then he'll come back for a season two. It'll happen. Well, I guess I'm supposed to follow that. <clears throat> My most disappointing movie in all the MCU is Eternals. And so my first pick is from Eternals. I, I, I say it's the most disappointing, not because I have any love for the character. The, the, the Eternals are the worst Kirby creation until he went to Topps Comics. Uh, he was just kind of burned out and out of steam at that point. And there has never been a good Eternals comic. And yes, I've read the Neil Gaiman stuff. I've read the, the Karen Gillan stuff's okay, but they are the most boring characters in the Marvel universe. But 
They had Chloe Zhao as director, and her last two movies were amazing. It has one of the greatest casts that any Marvel movie has had. You know, it's got Brian Tyree Henry, who is one of the best actors working today. It's got uh, uh, Sama Hayek. It's got Barry Keegan. You know, just all of these really great talents. And even after I watched it and was disappointed with it, it kind of, I'd hear people talking about it and like, yeah, it's got some ideas you know it's fundamentally this this movie about faith which is something that's interesting to me and yet it's a mess it is such a ridiculous mess that is ugly to look at the plot makes no sense whatsoever you know the the uh co the 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 deviant shows up kind of like halfway through and it's like i'm the bad guy i guess it's it, everything <laughs> nothing in that movie makes any sense i've rewatched it to try to give it a second shot because i know people stand up for it and it's it's terrible but nothing is worse than the two post-credit sequences the one happens and um the crowd goes wild and i'm like that many people like Star Fox. well i have no idea what's going on here and then and the ride ho i look it up and like oh it's that harry styles guy i had no idea who he is um so there was that one that made me feel old uh and then the other one is the one that was just pulled up there where dane whitman the character played by kit harrington and harrington i think is one of the bright spots of the movie you know, I I did not care for him by the time we got to the end of Game of Thrones, but I found him really charming in, in Eternals. But we get to the scene where he's about to open this box to get the Ebony Blade, which is a big Black Knight moment. And you hear a voice say, wait or stop or whatever. I didn't rewatch it. <laughs> Later, you look it up and you find out that's Mahershala Ali. That's Blade, apparently. Why? Why would you do that? Either give us Mahershali as Blade or don't give us anything at all, but don't give us his voice. And I feel like I'm always standing up for post-credit sequences because I know that some people really grouch about them. But for me, that, that's that's one of the best comic to movie adaptations. I love that they take that that thing from the comics where the last page of the last couple panels is some guy going and setting up the next story. But this was just lazy and dumb. And it was just a capper on such a disappointing movie with just one more disappointment right out the door. I don't think we should do this episode guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I feel, I feel like I'm a bad influence. <laughs> so it's me next. Mm -hmm. mm, so my first pick, for worst phase four moment is Loki and Sylvie's romance in Loki. I can sum it up for you by saying I just did not buy them falling in love at all, but it was part of the larger problem I had with the series. As we remember, it took a, a post-battle of New York Loki, showed him a video of some bad stuff that happened to him in another timeline, added a quick bit of psychology, and it was like, he's a better man now. And yeah, I wasn't able to push myself out there mentally really to go along with it as much as I wanted to. Um, the idea that Loki would fall in love with a, a different version of himself totally tracks, but Tom Hiddleston and Sofia DiMartino had zero chemistry on screen, like literally zero. Um, they really had like a brother and sister vibe, which just made it even worse somehow. Well, it made it worse because of that. There were a lot of things that I really... Uh, loved about the series it was well directed the score and the sets and the little TVA touches were great 
but that romance did not feel real to me at all. The awkward blanket time scene they had in the penultimate episode was the pits. So <laughs> that is my first pick for worst moment. I just, I found it really excruciating, guys. Really cringe. The bl- the blanket stuff was rough. Mm, yeah. I think that might be the first and maybe only thing this episode that I kind of disagree with. I mean, like, I don't feel that strongly about it. Honestly, it's kind of a challenge to come up with, like, moments that are not just from, like, the same three films over and over again. Yeah. Um, And that leads me into uh, my second item. Thor Love and Thunder was bad, but it was bad in a way that, like, made me feel bad about the long-term direction of the MCU for the first time in a while. Just in a sense of like, maybe we've run out of energy here. Maybe Disney is pushing these creatives too hard. Maybe the schedule is too packed. Because like, there's just a lot of exhaustion in Thor Love and Thunder. And for my moment, my second moment, I actually chose something that's not even in the movie itself. I chose uh, Taika Waititi's promotional tour around Thor Thor Love and Thunder. (laughs) Because... It is like the depiction of just like a man losing his mind. (laughs) Never has it been more apparent that somebody was completely bored with what they were given than it was during this promotional tour. Uh, It certainly didn't help that it came so late and they did, they like, they did a bunch of appearances before there was even a trailer. So you couldn't even really talk about anything. But then once footage was actually out, it only got worse. There's this like now kind of semi-classic and memeable interview that um, Taika and Tessa Thompson did for Vanity Fair where they watch a scene from the movie and it's the scene um, in New Asgard where they're, yeah, where they're planning on what to do next and how, how to tackle Christian Bale, whatever. And the energy that I just brought to describing that scene is the same energy that Taika <laughs> brings at a minute 15, because again, I rewatched it today. At a minute 15 into the video, um, like right as they hit play, he stops everything. He's like, wait a minute, does this look real? And he points at Korg and he and Tessa just both agree that Korg looks like shit. And then like, <laughs> throughout this interview, like they just completely like betray the fact that this making this movie was not necessarily a fun, creatively fulfilling experience. And they don't care too much about the final results. And maybe they did. Maybe I'm reading way too much into things. I don't know what's inside Taika Waititi's and, and Tessa Thompson's hearts. Um, but it just feels like there's a lot of exhaustion put into this movie. And I feel like it comes out in that press tour. It doesn't help that that came out right at the same time that uh, all of the news about Marvel rushing VFX artists and underpaying them came out at the exact same time that Taika and Tessa are making fun of the VFX in their own movie. Yeah. Dude, there's another moment in that same Vanity Fair interview that I wasn't going to bring up, but like uh, they're rewatching the scene and like um, at one point Valkyrie in the scene like winces because I think like Thor jolts awake or something and Tessa points it out and like it's like, oh, I never noticed that. Like, <laughs> like you directed this film and you never noticed the acting choice that one of your three leads makes at like a very uh, big moment in the film. It's so nice when she goes like this. He's like, oh, wow, I guess she did do that, huh? By the way, uh, randomized one just uh, wanted to disagree with Joe that uh, and says Eternals is one of the best recent Marvel movies. And I fair agree enough, with you. I agree. I like Eternals a lot. 
and I know I'm in the minority, but I think a lot of that movie and a lot of its vibe makes sense and is much more interesting once you know the twist that they are essentially robots. And even some of the way it's filmed and the way they deal with the villains that sort of half show up and even just vaguely villains makes sense if you know the twist of the movie. So I do like it and I will defend it. I wish you two were right, but you're not. (laughs) You're wrong. (laughs) But that sounds really nice. Our old buddy Code Monkey uh, (laughs) says uh, he feels like he just uh, tuned into a... uh, into a therapy session here at Den of Geek. And folks, fair. And if you are a first-time viewer of Marvel Stand-Up, we are not usually like this. Like, this is always like a, well, mostly. Like well, a my kids. Vibes, my like, kids. Team. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, welcome back, Code Monkey. Good to see you as usual. And we'll keep it on the Thor train for a moment, even though I don't feel nearly as strongly as about, about Love and Thunder as Alec does. Um but my problem was not with Love and Thunder. It was because I hate fun, apparently. Um, ask everybody who works for me. Uh, I, uh, mine is the, uh, the, the Party Thor episode of What If, um, which at the time, in those innocent uh, pre-Moon Knight days, at the time, I considered to be the most excruciating 30 minutes in MCU history. Um, I did not so much as crack a smile during that episode. In America, there's this thing where I feel like a significant portion of the audience like doesn't know that, you know, like didn't get that, like, you know, Beavis and Butthead and Homer Simpson and Peter Griffin that, you know, these characters were making fun of them and are not, you know, actually to be emulated. Like, I just know too many, you know, dingbats who are like, mmm, bacon, like unironically, you know what I mean? And it's like, Party Thor is the superhero equivalent of that. Like, yes, it is interesting to look at, you know, what would Thor have been like had he not actually embraced some semblance of responsibility and had it thrust upon him. And maybe there's a good story to be told there. But if that episode of what if is anything to go by, that ain't it. Like I've been actually meaning to, I've been meaning to revisit a bunch of what if episodes, because I feel like that show did some really cool stuff. And I think it's going to get overlooked, you know, like, in the course of everybody's MCU revisits. It is literally my job to watch stuff. You could not pay me enough (laughs) to sit through 28 minutes or whatever it was of Party Thor again. Yeah. What if is such a perfect adaptation of the comics in that, you know, there's one or two good entries and the rest are like, yeah, that would be interesting. I don't want to read a whole issue about it, or I don't want to read much whole 30 minutes about it. I liked Party Thor. I liked Love and Thunder, too. Like, I like everything that everyone's wailing on. <laughs> I'm fine with it, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to keep the uh, the Thor hate train going then. Uh, sorry, Kirsty. Um, speaking of jocks that throw you into lockers, uh, my second pick comes from Thor Love and Thunder. I point to a lot of the problems with what Alec already covered, 
with just the way that Taika Waititi has been approaching this material. And Thor Love and Thunder reminds me of nothing more than, you know, you've got that one nerdy friend in middle school or childhood who, you know, would do all the nerdy things with you. And then like high school or college or young adulthood kicks in and they become hot and they know that they're hot. And like all of that power fantasy that they used to have about being cool and accepted kicks in and they kind of think they like the things that you, you they used to like but now they're making fun of you at the same time and you don't know if they're actually cool with it or not that's what watching thor love and thunder was like where it was i i felt like it was giving me a wedgie the entire time like we're all this this is stuff is for nerds and it's for dorks right and nothing illustrated that better than I, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but the first half of the movie, I'm jotting down my notes at the press screening and I write, this feels like an old spice commercial. And then two seconds later, it's an old spice commercial, literally on screen. <laughs> and that was just such a perfect moment of, well, th that's what this is now. This is LOL, so random, you know, and, and, making fun of us, calling us dorks for liking this stuff. And the thing is, when people defend Love and Thunder, I'm kind of with them because they tend to talk about the stuff from the second half. Like uh, or Christian Bale, awesome throughout the entire movie. The black and white sequence, awesome. The bit where the, the he gives the power to the little kids and the Guns N' Roses kicks in, awesome. That's what I want. But at any second, it's going to do the Lucy thing and pull the football away and call me a dork, but then be like, ah, I'm just messing with you. I don't need superhero movies to be taken seriously. And this is where it really bothers me, where I, there are so many people who who demand, oh, am I am I the first one to get the fire? Oh, I'm so sorry, Mike. I thought this was going to be you. Oh. You know, I said I was going to be positive, and I did this first. All right, let me get the spiel out of the way. I don't, there are so many people who are like, you gotta, you know, how dare you Martin Scorsese for not uh, loving superhero movies unironically or extremely. And I'm not that. They're silly and they need to be silly, but there also needs to be some sort of love with them. And so I, I, when I watch Thor Love and Thunder and I feel that part like stop making fun of me kick in, I hate the movie for making me feel that. And the Old Spice sequence scene is the, 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 perfect example of that all right put the fire out <laughs> <laughs> well this really is a therapy session we got into some deep stuff there right? <laughs> sorry one day we're going to get to the bottom of what happened with thor love and thunder because i remember when it was announced at uh, comic-con and it seemed like a phenomenal idea and everybody seemed way into it like natalie po it did not seem like just a paycheck for natalie portman it did not seem like just a paycheck for Taika Waititi. It did not seem like just a paycheck for Chris Hemsworth. And then there just something happened on that set that just sucked the joy out of everybody. Folks, Andy is in the comments from the Flash podcast. Just one of the best folks in this business. Go go check out the Flash podcast and the entire network of DC Universe podcast that he runs. It's really good stuff there. Andy, you, you're, you're allowed to plug your stuff in the chat. Nobody else is. I don't think the flames are going to be necessary for any of mine, but... Maybe, yeah, it's time to just cut loose. If this is a therapy session, just go off. But um, I don't usually lose it. Okay, so my second pick for worst phaseful moment is Sharon Carter revealed as the power broker in Falcon and Winter Soldier. 
uh yeah it was just a mess it's not even the reveal itself that's the problem although again we find ourselves in a kind of changing a person's inherent nature very quickly situation that was the same thing in loki right but in this instance it also happened off screen um falcon winter soldier was so messy leading up to it and that power broker reveal felt tacked on as well as unearned um, there are quite a few worst moments you pick from this show alone. Like, uh, you know, Alex, right. There's Zemo putting on his mask for 10 seconds, the fishing boat, fumbling the flag smashers as villains. Like it's a lot, but doing Sharon Carter dirty once again. And to be clear, she's often terrific in the comics and as a card in Marvel snap, but yeah, I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. And I just feel like that's, I just, has a character been done as dirty in the MCU as Sharon Carter? I'm not sure. Look, I, I don't want to, I don't want to take us too far off track and I don't want to become known as like the Falcon in the Winter Soldier Defender. But like, again, I, I, but to me, that is the difference between what I said at the start of this, like the difference between like, you know, Marvel projects that just kind of aren't as good as the others or like are a little bit messy or had some weird decisions. Like, you know, the Sharon Carter thing is a weird decision at best, you know, and the difference between like kind of, you know, what I consider to be almost unwatchable. And to me, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier is just more like, like general mess, like phase two mess. You know what I mean? Like, um, Alec, all right. Eternals is pretty bad. I'm not full on like Kirsty revisionism on this movie and thinking that there's something of value there because it really isn't. But I also, <laughs> if you squint, you can kind of see what they're going for. And it is kind of like what Mike said. Like, it's just, you know, it's a normal failure. It's not an abomination. Um, what is an abomination, though, is uh, that sex scene. <laughs> hey, come on man let that fire it up um uh, that's another thing that i rewatched for the purposes of this and first of all it's under 90 seconds long which yikes uh, i mean to be fair never mind like <laughs> but like based on everything else we know about him in that movie like, <laughs> grow up <laughs> um, <laughs> It's almost just like two pieces of plywood going at it. Like there's really no um, passion there. And they say three lines throughout the whole thing. Uh, Rob Stark goes, I'm yours, Cersei, if you'll have me. And then they say, I love you. <laughs> and like, that's it. And it's 90 seconds and they kiss. Um, and it, feel, it almost feels like when you're a kid and like you want like what you think a love scene in a movie would be, which is just like adults just kissing like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just like the equivalent of that when i think about it i just think of them just doing kisses 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 and then it's over alec they're robots yeah robots are hot man you not seen everything. battlestar galactica <laughs> yes but like everything about the, the sex scene being boring and mechanical and like their copying behavior makes sense hmm. this is one like okay annoyingly i think you have a point but at the yeah. same time like um at the same time like let's not pretend like they didn't hype this up <laughs> like they said they made it explicit before the movie starts like get ready kids first marvel sex scene in the works and then <laughs> just the if you were going to teach abstinence in schools <laughs> 
you could show that scene like <laughs> on YouTube. We're not mature enough for this. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I'm cheating again um, because this is not one moment. It is 148 moments. All 148 moments of Spider-Man No Way Home. The worst superhero movie since Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Um, And it is the worst for exactly the opposite reasons that Batman v Superman is the worst. Batman v Superman is a ridiculous edgelord power fantasy created to please studio execs who think that this is what the audience wanted because Superman is so uncool that the only thing that audiences could possibly want is to see him die and to turn both Superman and Batman into like steroidal imbeciles who just like roar at each other for an endless runtime. I had the same sinking, sick, anxious feeling that I got during the first screening of Batman v Superman that I got when watching No Way Home for the first time, but for completely the opposite reason. This is a nonsensical, cheerful, it's like if somebody fed a bunch of like TikTok and Tumblr memes into an AI, and it just like spat back out the script of No Way Home. Nonsense pandering written and potentially directed by boardroom suits. History is going to prove me right on this. Like everybody was so caught up in the moment. This was the first, no, I did not scream and clap out of joy after seeing Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Nobody, the revision, the revisionist history around Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man movies is absolute nonsense. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, there's a case to be made that is one of the worst superhero movies ever made. Like, both of these guys were great in their roles. Both of them got completely screwed by their rejective franchises. And both of them looked middle-aged and sad in this movie. Like, like Tom Holland's Spider-Man has been robbed of a proper arc by ridiculous fan service. Like we will never get a proper MCU or Green Goblin story. It's just never going to happen. Like, like the, the chance to ever see those movies, given those villains, given the MCU touch, is completely dead now because of this movie, all because Sony had to reassert their dominance over the Spider-Man franchise and juice up the streaming revenues for two movies that nobody wanted in the first place and three movies that, like, you know, were good in their time, but, like, come on, folks. I'm sorry. Like, as the years go on, we will see No Way Home's, like, ranking in universal Marvel movie rankings continue to diminish. Everybody was caught up in the moment. It was a lot of people's first time back in theaters after COVID. It was the holiday season. There's all this nostalgia. It's a bad movie. 
History will prove me right. You heard it here first, and I hope I never have to talk about this movie again as long as I live. Mike, did you just say that the Raimi movies were good in their time? (laughs) Yeah. They're good. In their time? They're good. Oh, I was with you until that point. They're, they're fine. And Hapset, you're right. Hapset in the comments says, I did love seeing Andrew, not going to lie. Andrew Garfield deserved so much better than those movies. Like Andrew Garfield has gone on to prove that this is, this is like, you know, potentially a generational talent. Then again, we all thought Oscar Isaac was a generational talent until Moon Knight came along. Uh, but like, deserved so much better, was an excellent Spider-Man. I never particularly warmed to his Peter. You know, I always felt like Toby was an excellent Peter, but not a great Spider-Man. You know what I mean? So I get it. You know, Andrew Garfield could have been a great Spider-Man, but not in those movies and not in No Way Home either. I don't necessarily disagree with you on any point. Like you're absolutely correct. It's this was a cynical Sony crash crash cash gap grab. Um, I also kind of like watching the movie. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, unfortunately. Aside from that, the its third act has maybe the absolute worst Marvel third act itis you've ever seen. Mm. Uh, it is like pitch black. You have a you have three guys in colorful blue and red costumes just swinging around incomprehensibly. Aside from that, I I like watching it. Even though it's probably pretty bad, that that's exactly how I feel about it, Alec. Um, it is it is a bad movie, Mike. I'm not trying to take that from you at all. It is, and you're right about all of it. And I cannot get with. I mean, Andrew Garfield's completely charming in in No Way Home, but it is insane to pretend that the Amazing Spider-Man movies are good or that he was good in them. The lat. Peter Parker is a bully in those movies. And I don't, you've gone totally the wrong direction if you make Peter Parker into a bully. So yeah, I'm with you uh, with, with all of that. But, you know, I didn't get the chance. This is me segueing into, into my last pick, which is also from No Way Home. Um, I, I do enjoy it. I had a good time with it, but I, because Sony doesn't do press screenings here in North Carolina, I didn't get the chance to see it until it had been out for several weeks and thoroughly spoiled. So I knew going into it that it was going to be, you know, just all sorts of references to better Spider-Man movies. The Raimi movies are perfect. Sam Raimi, I know it's coming soon, so I'm going to say it again here. Sam Raimi is the best superhero movie director and all of his superhero movies are good, period. Um, but so I knew it was going to be all references to that. I like Tom Holland's Spider-Man, but uh, I knew it was going to be references to all these things. So I, I, I had low expectations, but I find myself while I was watching it, when I've rewatched it, really having to struggle with just the plot mechanics of the movie that you can tell it was so it, it's a vending machine movie is what I like to call it, where it's going <laughs> to give you the, the, the tasty treat that you want, but you're going to hear all the gears grinding and you're going to see all the machinery that it takes in order to get you that treat. And so I knew the story was going to be nonsense. The one thing I cannot get over in the movie is the lazy scene where Peter is trying to figure out how to fix this big mess he's in. And he looks up and he sees Christmas decorations and he's like, Oh yeah. 
I know a reality altering wizard who I just <laughs> hung out with. I wouldn't have thought about that if we didn't have Christmas or Halloween decorations up, even though it's Christmas time. And we even get a line earlier to say, hey, MJ, take down those Halloween decorations. That was just such, you cannot ignore the bad writing at that point. And believe me, I was trying to meet this movie on its terms and just, you, you wanna give me nostalgia? Fine, great, you can do that. But I can't ignore at that point. So I hate that scene so much in a movie that is bad, but I still enjoyed. I don't hate it as much as Mike, but there it is. He could have easily just have like walked by a poster of the actual Doctor Strange. Yeah. <laughs> Or how, just remember, oh yeah, I'm friends with Doctor Strange. We were in a spaceship not that long ago and <laughs> saved the universe. I He probably has powers, but no, it takes that. And boy, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch is so bad in those scenes. You know, he was really good in every movie last year, except for that one. It's, it's, it's a mess. Such a mess. It's not Doctor Strange in that movie. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's not even a no way home problem. That is, you know, we've talked about this on this show before. Like, that's the MCU problem of like flattening every character and everybody's dialogue into, you know, like quip, 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 you know, and, and it's like, like, come on, folks, like, that is what Spider-Man is for. Not every character in a Spider-Man movie, let alone a movie with three Spider-Men. Not every character needs to talk like Spider-Man, you know? There is definitely, and we got some of this in, in you know, in previous movies and their previous interactions where, like, Doctor Strange as, like, the straight man for Peter Parker is a wonderful dynamic, but that doesn't work if suddenly, like, Doctor Strange is just another goofball. So, you know, but that's... I can't even I can't even hate on No Way Home for that because that's that's like that's them running with the ball that the MCU gives them because that's just every character. Like every character in the MCU talks like Tony Stark. Yeah. Except for the Eternals who you know. <laughs> well, if they'd met Tony Stark uh, themselves, maybe they could copy him. <laughs> they're aware that he died right but so they, they, they maybe maybe, maybe their woodenness is like performative grief right like oh. <laughs> stop saving the eternals they would <laughs> they are wooden because they are robots so i'm the last one get the flames ready yeah this no, is it this is what i've been no waiting flames. for like no flames i'm gonna be as constructive as i can like Okay, my final worst phase four moment is the multiverse in Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. I have a lot of problems with the movie. I do not care for it. I'm not as cross about it as I was, having read a lot of the interviews with the people behind it uh, post-release. I can understand that there was a lot of pressure on them to figure all this out after Scott Derrickson left and Raimi and Michael Waldron came aboard. So I've calmed down about a lot of it. It, you know, look, Dr. Strange is one of my favorite Marvel comics characters and has such a rich history of wild visual and conceptual adventures in those books. Like you open most Dr. Strange books, you're going to see something incredible, right? Uh, and for me, the multiverse in this movie was just not that mad. Um, 
we got a glimpse of some interesting universes in one particular scene. Uh, but ultimately, we spent the majority of our multiverse traveling time in a place where red means go. <laughs> the Illuminati scene was bollocks. Clearly, no one was in the same room when it was filmed. It is a mess. There's lots of other grumpy shit I could say about the movie. Scarlet Witch didn't deserve this after WandaVision, which was incredible. Andrew, really? The flames? Yes. Give, <laughs> give them the flames. WandaVision was so good. And it's like, let's do it again, but worse. Let, you know, she clearly learned nothing. Let's have her learn the same thing again, but so much more ham-fistedly. And as on... It, it, yeah, America Chavez used for exposition dumps and then being able to control her powers just because an old white dude told her she could. Clear's entrance in, in that costume that looks like, you know, she got it off the rack at Spirit Halloween sale. Um, many, many things suck about it, but I will stick with the multiverse. I don't want to be too mean about this movie. It was made at a very difficult time. And it made loads of money. So at the end of the day, obviously, people loved it a lot more than I did. And, you know, they are right to have their opinions. Ooh. <laughs> Keep that energy. <laughs> Look, I will say, as somebody that really did enjoy Multiverse of Madness, Kirsty's critiques of it, you know, um, particularly the stuff about making... Uh, you know, basically making Wanda like go through the same stuff that she went through in WandaVision. It is tough to argue with that. Like when I saw Multiverse of Madness, I was, look, I accused people of this with No Way Home. So I have to, I have to be fair, right? I have to be honest about this. I was definitely caught up in the novelty of Sam Raimi being back and being like, and Sam Raimi on a Doctor Strange movie is like a dream team, you know? And like, and with a, with a massive budget and being able to do like great visual stuff and everything else. But the Wanda stuff doesn't sit right, does it? And again, I excuse it because of how awesome Elizabeth Olsen's performance is, like how genuinely terrifying and great she is. In great. It. She is great in it, Mike. And she can sell anything because she's a great actress. And so she will give like a thousand percent to everything that she does. She's great, but this movie does not deserve that performance. Like it just <laughs> doesn't, you know, we saw in WandaVision, like how, you know, writers that were really thoughtful about her character. And it's just in this, it's like, oh, well, you know, she had the dark hold in the post credit scene. So, you know, villain era, just like, but she just went through something so affecting and, at the time, we were talking about it as one of the most, you know, special TV series we'd seen in recent memory, you know, surprising, inventive, um, considerate. Um, and, and then this is just, I don't know what this is, but I, I don't like it. And <laughs> I, I rewatched it because I rewatch all the movies I hate, you know, on Alan Moore's advice. I, I watch and read everything again that sucks because I want to know. Um, what it is about things that don't work, that make me angry, um, that I perceive as bad, so that I can establish what is good, you know, to have a sliding scale in my mind. And I just, 
I got nothing out of it. I love Zombie Doctor Strange. Like Zombie Doctor Strange is terrific. And I know that Alec was talking about, you know, the Cape of Souls and stuff last week. I love that moment. And it, it's it's terrific. And when I saw it in the trailer, I was like, this is going to be the best movie ever made. And then I saw it <laughs> and just felt gutted. I As soon as Scarlet Witch, you know, the reveal was that she was the villain, which they'd kept from us, you know, for quite some time. I just, my heart sank and I thought we're going to have to watch some dudes write Wanda in this movie and just throw all of that away for what? Like they could have done so many interesting things with them, with her character, with the multiverse, you know, I just feel like it's a missed opportunity, but not for in terms of cash because they made loads of it. So congratulations. <laughs> You know what I'm um I'm just realizing now is like it would it could have like really killed two birds with one stone problems in this movie if like you just had a multiverse evil Wanda. It's a different Wanda. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> yes. I mean, is there a practical element to that? I can't believe that of all the things we're gonna go long on and uh, on it's this, but I guess it's because Sorry. there's no, it's fine. It's totally fine. Like because of all the projects we're talking about, I think this is the one that got the most like universal critical acclaim, but the criticisms of it that have come from Kirsty, that have come from the, a, a terrific article that Lacey Bauer wrote for Jenna Geek that you can- Lacey you can Bauer, find. yeah, that article like, was nodding along while I was reading it. Look, really- I, and, and, I, and I'm, as somebody who praises that movie, when Lacey submitted that, I was like, I was like, ooh, I can't, and it is an evisceration of this. Mm. And I remember reading it going, She's not wrong. Like, I can't really argue with this. And I think, is there a fundamental problem here where, again, big MCU problem, big picture MCU problem. Was Multiverse of Madness afraid to assume knowledge on the part of the audience that the audience had watched WandaVision? Like, because at the moment, not a single Marvel TV series, no matter how cool they are in the moment, has had a significant impact on a Marvel movie. And I understand why they're doing this because as it is, I think general audiences feel overwhelmed, you know, by the amount of stuff that they have to watch. And like, do they feel, you know, can I see this if I haven't watched X, Y, and Z? And I don't think Marvel Studios is doing a great job of communicating that. But if there is one project that should matter, it's like one of the most critically acclaimed thing they, things they ever done with what? With but I think vision. it does matter. I think they did think that people had watched it. Why would they have included her kids in it? You know, why have they, yeah. would they have brought back the story, you know, of, of Westview and stuff like that? I mean, they tried to sum it up a little bit in the, um, in the beginning, like with an offhand sentence, you know, about is this about what happened in Westview or whatever? Um, but then they do bring her kids back and it is about motherhood, but it's not in a good motherhood way. It's that sort of womb fear or whatever they call it um, that, uh, you know, I've thought we, we were done with. And to see it on the MCU in like in a huge budget movie was just felt like, wow, what a step back. Yeah, I found it really unpleasant to watch. Andy says uh, variant Wanda would have been the perfect final step for our Wanda to see the errors of her ways. And if she continued to give into the dark hold and multiverse of madness could have been the story for, you know, where she comes full circle. Absolutely. Like, like absolutely. Yes. Um, 
you know, it's funny that that happens. Like it's just a different Wanda in the movie. It's just yeah. not our Wanda. Like it's they should have just flipped it. That is troubling. And what what uh, Kirsty said about the portrayal of the multiverse in general, given that the, we're in the multiverse saga, has uh, MCU done anything really well with the multiverse? I'm not excited about where they're going to go with that, just based on what we've talked about here. You know that. The multiverse so far has meant cameos for yeah, uh, previous Spider-Man and then botching fairly basic storytelling tropes or storytelling beats in Doctor Strange. That that doesn't speak well. If that's really where they're going to go for the next 20 some odd movies, then they need to figure out how to do the multiverse. You know, I joked before that I didn't expect us to go long on this, but <laughs> I'm glad that we did. Because what we are seeing here, with look, we've had so much fun this episode, like like kind of trash and stuff, which we never do, which we generally don't even do at Den of Geek that much. You know what I mean? Right. And like, it's fun to it's fun to like like really stab this stuff. But Multiverse of Madness is a perfect example of like when we used to talk about the MCU when it felt invincible, when it's like, when are they ever going to get anything wrong? And then like when stuff didn't quite line up the way we wanted, it would spark this kind of conversation as opposed to me, like tearing my hair out over, over Stephen Grant and, and, and no way home. You know what I mean? So like, it's, I, I'm actually glad we ended on this. It was overdue. One of, one of the big tragedies in stand-up history is that Kirsten wasn't around for our multiverse of madness episode. We almost did a bonus episode just for Kirsty to like lose <laughs> their mind over uh, multiverse of madness. Like, yeah. you know, I had, I had COVID. So I couldn't do the yes. Multiverse of Madness show. But yeah, I was trying to arrange like an alternate universe uh, version of Sandman where I could unload on it. But I'm glad that we didn't because I think I was very angry and I don't think I would have made my points well at the time. Because <laughs> I remember <laughs> texting you and it was like that meme you see where you see the wall of text. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then just under understand. And then underneath it just says like, okay, or something like that was our conversation so i, I feel like it was <laughs> you know code monkey in the comments sums it up pretty well uh you know we vent about this stuff because we love it and we want it to be better and not fizzle into nothing and really yes. that's it like i still i love the mcu i love superhero movies i want there to be more of them i want more superhero movies i want more superhero tv but I want it to be good and I don't want it to feel like it is like just obligatory stuff being churned out by, you know, faceless studio execs. And I want it to feel like there is like a unifying creative vision behind it. And, you know, generally speaking, this, like, this is still the golden age. Like Joe and I, especially and Kirsty, <laughs> grew up in a time where it would be like, do you know how many times I rented the Reb Brown Captain America TV <laughs> movies just so that I could see Captain America in live action. Do you have any idea? And Alec is like, what, what are these words? Do you even, like, yep. like, do you, have, do you, you, you kids don't know how good you have it. So I literally funny. rode my bike an hour each way to the video store to rent the Captain 1990 Captain America <clears throat> multiple times. Yeah. Yep. All right, we're clearly all delirious now. So that is it for another episode of Marvel Standing Live. Thank you all so much for tuning in, joining us in the comments. I hope we didn't offend anybody too greatly with our bad vibes. We will be back next week 
with some jingle jingle vibes folks because it is the annual holiday quiz and our quiz master quiz mistress what is the proper term here kirsty quiz person our quiz person thank you <laughs> our 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 lead quiz person our senior quiz person i'm trying to put some <laughs> very senior on this. yeah <laughs> elderly uh, our our quiz person kirsten howard has promised to make my life absolutely miserable during the Marvel Standom Christmas quiz, you will not want to miss it. If you tuned in late, you'll be able to watch this in full on our YouTube. That is at Denegeek US. If you are listening by podcast, you can watch us live, folks. That's twitch.tv slash TV, but also on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Uh, make sure you're following at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions. Tell us what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. We are planning a brand new season that will begin in mid to late January before Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, et cetera, et cetera. Don't forget, we also have a DC show. So check out DC Standom when you can on all major podcast platforms. Anyway, this was a lot of work for everybody involved, but especially Andrew Halley, the best producer in any corner of the multiverse. Thank you to... Muzna Shahzad, who will be joining us next week, I hope. Michael R., our podcast producer, makes the audio version of the show all it can be. Folks, send your best wishes to Denny Geek Social Media Coordinator Lee Parham, who is absent for the time being. But we miss you, Lee. Get well soon, buddy. Lee will return to his usual comment moderating duties, correcting me when I get stuff wrong, keeping us all on track. We look forward to Lee's return. And uh, I think that is it. Thank you all for watching, listening, following, subscribing. You know the drill. This has been Denny Presents Marvel Standing. We'll see you soon. Remember, folks, we stand together.